hey, there's a show you might want to know about. Now in its tenth season, Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a podcast about tragedy, triumph, unequal justice, and actual innocence. Based on the files of the lawyers who represent them, together with other criminal justice activists and experts, Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom features interviews with men and women who have spent years in prison for crimes they did not commit, some of them having even been sentenced to death. These are their stories. Look for Wrongful Conviction wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, how are you? Seen. On. S. S. C. E. Seen. Yeah, yeah, everything all right? Seen on radio. Hi, it's John Bewin. Welcome to episode 12, Losing Yourself. A couple years ago at a radio conference, I met a producer named Ibby Caputo. We chatted, and within a few minutes, she told me about some recordings she had. Recordings of a young woman, very sick, possibly dying. The sick young woman had made the recordings herself. There was tape of her interactions with doctors and nurses, tape of the young woman talking on the phone, and talking to herself, audio diary style. When I asked Ibby how she'd come into possession of these recordings, that's when she told me, <laughs> well, I think I'll just get out of the way and you can hear for yourself. I'm a radio producer, and for several years now, I've had this recording that I really haven't known what to do with. Here. Okay. Yeah, you can go now. Okay. Thanks. It's of a 26-year-old woman in a hospital. I'm in my stand up and walk and stuff. Sure, yeah, totally. Am I in my own room? Yeah, it's that way. Okay. Mind if I bring your bags in for you? Yeah, let me just zip it up real quick. Okay. okay. I'll probably have you put your shoes on to walk on the floor. Because it's dirty. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've had better days. Oh, I'm sure. Is you get somebody coming to hang out with you for a while, or no? I no. had someone hang out with me before. You did, okay. I was hoping maybe you. Could, are you the doctor? I'm a nurse. No. You're a nurse. I'm the. I was hoping okay. someone maybe could give me something to sleep. Yeah. Sure, I can call a nurse for something. Um, you gonna get up? I am. Um, she tells the story better than I do. Okay. Um. It is. 820, August 26, <sighs> yesterday, 
Yesterday, I came into the hospital, Cape Cod, where I'm living this summer, and I had this infection from a bikini waxing that went wrong. <laughs> and um, I'm still here because a whole bunch of things happened. You know, first, they were surprised by the infection and that it didn't. You know, it was, they were surprised that they didn't find, like, icky pus in there to drain out. And then, they were surprised by how much I was bleeding. And then they were surprised by my fever. And then they took my blood. And they told me my counts brought out of whack. At first they said that, um, that they thought I was anemic, and so anemic that I would need a blood transfusion. And I thought, well, that makes sense, and that sucks, and that's serious. But, and then the doctor came back, and he told me about other levels that were messed up, and today I'm supposed to get a bone marrow biopsy. A bone marrow biopsy because they suspect I have leukemia For me, the saddest part about this is that I was just so happy with how my life was going. I met this guy that I really like, and I love where I work. And now I don't really know what's gonna happen. because I'm uninsured um, it, a lot of it depends on where I can get coverage so that's a situation that giving me like heavy duty doses dosages of antibiotics so that you know to cure this infection and um I'm really sad. I'm like really, really, really sad. <sighs> and two years ago to the day was the day after I arrived in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, evacuating from Hurricane Katrina. I realized that yesterday. I realized that on that Saturday two years before, that was when I, I left my life and my house and everything I loved in New Orleans and it was looking one way and then when it came back six weeks later, it was all entirely different.
and seems to repeat itself a cycle because just because anyway down the rabbit hole Before she landed in the hospital, the woman had been a radio intern at a media outlet in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. That's why she had a microphone and a recorder with her. She was new at making radio. That's a phrase that radio producers use to talk about audio storytelling. She felt like making radio was how she'd get through this. Maybe it was just a way to buffer the fall. In any case, not all the recordings are sad. Say so, a half hour between a half hour between the two doses. So I might start feeling kind of icky. Oh good, a phone call. Well, I can, you know, time it a little later. Okay, because I often feel kind of gross. Can I get that? Yeah. I'm so excited you get a phone call. How do I answer? Just hit the red. Hello? Oh, room service. You make it sound like a hotel. Oh, did you get a menu? Um, no, I don't have a menu. Oh, let me get you one. Oh. All right, thanks. You're welcome. So what's the food like around here? It's not bad. Really? It really isn't bad. Hmm. Scrambled eggs. Are they organic? What does that mean? Oh, okay, what's the least processed, least sugary thing you have on the menu? <laughs> I can hear her laughing. <laughs> well, I, might, I might pass then. Or maybe I'll get some of this. You have oatmeal. If it's possible to have like a banana on the side. Okay, I think I'll take that oatmeal. Um, water. Great, thanks very much. You too. I heard a lot, but anything that's not processed, I don't know. I want, I'm in the hospital, man. I gotta get healthy. I don't want to eat processed crap. Mm -hmm. You're working your machine, I'm working my and machine. I'm hiding it from you. <laughs> You're hiding it from me. <laughs> um, I guess the woman had her standards. At least she made everyone laugh. Later that night, she was transported from the hospital in Cape Cod to one in Boston. She was told that there she could get more sophisticated tests to determine if she really had cancer or if it was just some fluke infection. There's a recording from the ambulance ride that brought her to Boston. It's loud and distorted and hard to listen to, but in it, the woman is manic. Her heart is racing, and she seems giddy, chatting up the 22-year-old paramedic, even though she's strapped to a gurney. The paramedic plays along and is even a little patronizing, but the woman doesn't seem to notice. She's too busy overcompensating for reality. When the ambulance finally arrives at the hospital, she turns the mic off. When she turns it back on, she's calm again. I am in... It's gonna sound crazy, but I can't remember the name of the hospital. I've had to take in a lot of um, information lately. Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. 
And um, last night, I was told by a hematologist here that it's pretty likely that I have um, an acute form of leukemia that's aggressive and curable. They don't know how serious it is or there's still a fair amount of unknowns. Um, so that was kind of a blow. <laughs> And there's a million and a half things going through my mind. I'm gonna call my father now. Hi dad, it's Ib. Um, it seems like I have an acute form of leukemia. Acute, acute leukemia, they, I mean, they, that's, that's what they're going to decide after the bone marrow biopsy. You mean with the news? No, I found out last night that like 1, 1 a.m., 1.30. Yeah, all the doctors here are really young. It's so weird. They're all my age. And I'm just like, I was just like you a couple days ago. No, it was a woman. It was like me. I was basically staring at me. She was just telling me. Except she was talking and all this jargon and... I don't know, Dad, what causes this? <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to be going through, but... And I don't really know who's going to stick by and who's not, but... I just don't want to die in the hospital. Well, yeah, I'm sure if this doesn't kill me, it'll make me stronger. <laughs> Wasn't I made strong enough already? I mean, <laughs> shit. Okay. Let me tell you, chemotherapy is not fun. I am uh, sitting in my hospital room and I I have what's called a chemotherapy tree next to me I'm on a type of chemotherapy that has to be administered for seven days straight 24 hours and it sucks because that means I have to be attached to this tree for seven days 24 hours and taking showers 
is not exactly a possibility and feeling the freedom of a normal person who walks alone is also not my reality right now um here this is the sound of it dripping or the sound the machine makes I think when it's unplugged, it beeps continuously. But right now it's plugged into my bed. Um, gosh, it's been really intense. I've been really lucky because people keep coming by and calling and emailing. And one of my big fears has been that people will check out because it gets to be too much. But this is a lot and um, and I know I'm only a couple days into it but I have a feeling people are actually gonna show their love throughout and for that I'm really grateful <sighs> I'm turning it on one more time to tell you about the shadows in the room so the chemo tree it has a green light coming out of it and right now the room is dark I'm in bed and above the chemotherapy tree the shadows on the ceiling look like a mobile of birds just kind of hanging there and um, I like that good night Okay, I'm here about to get uh, my second chemotherapy treatment of Donna Rubicine. I feel horrible. Um, they said I might not feel horrible, but apparently I do. My nurse's name is... Leela. Leela, um, My name is Leela Tiaderunz, and I'm going to be pushing Ivy's chemotherapy. And uh, this is a drug called Donna Rubicin, which she just said, and it's going to go over about 10 minutes. We're going to hook it up right now. What we're going to do is hook up a little bit of saline first into her Hickman line. So I'm just getting my gloves on now, and we're going to be hooking up the saline. And um, and Izzy, Ibby is not feeling very well at this moment. She's a little nauseated from the medication, which is very normal. Well, not anymore. I guess I can't. Well, move. I just medicated her, so uh -huh. I gave you the Zofran. Uh -huh. So I just feel so energyless. And that's pretty normal too. So now there's just a little quietness while I push the chemo. I just drew back and got a nice blood return again. So we're going to continue with the push here. Oh God. What's the matter? I'm just really stir crazy. Okay. We're almost done. Can I 
sit up? No, I should just... Sure, honey, you can sit up. You want, to see, you want me to put the head of the bed up? No, 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 you just do what you're doing. I'll just do this. Okay. We're almost done, honey. We have seven cc's left. All right, honey, we're almost done. Wow, what is going on? I think you just get a little claustrophobic. Yeah. Okay, we're done, we're done. I just want to make sure that we get a good flush here. Okay, you want to sit up? Yeah. Let me just do this. Okay. We're all finished. Thank you. Okay, let's see what this is like here. Right now, we are preparing to cut off my hair. Um, the nurses are going to bring in sterile clippers and buzzers. And Sam has to be very careful not to cut me because I might not stop bleeding if she does. So I just, I'm looking in the mirror right now. And I love my long hair. <laughs> it's never been this long. And I'm really vain about it. Um, so it's kind of a big deal for me to cut it off. And I always said that once it was long enough for me to put it in a bun, I would get married. Um, so I guess I won't be getting married for a while. <laughs> but um, Sam brought me this beautiful wooden box so I can keep a lock of hair in it. Now, a lock of hair is an interesting phrase because I think it actually just means one strand, but I'm going to say more than one strand. Do you think it means just one strand? I think it means more than one. I always imagined it as like a little ponytail of hair. Kind yes. Of. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're okay. going to save, and there's going to be some gray in there. We're going to save one of the lucky grays. My mom calls them crazy grays, but I call them lucky grays with the ponytail. Okay. Oh, look, maybe it's starting to fall out. That's kind of weird. That is kind of weird. It keeps coming. We're cutting out my hair now. I took the first... Look at all that, Sam. I didn't cut that much out. The woman, she's actually me. You've probably figured that out by now. Maybe you could tell it was me all along. My husband, he didn't know me then, but he says I sound totally different now. Yes, I got married. My hair grew and grew. For seven years it grew. And then I put it in a bun and voila. The whole making radio out of my illness thing didn't last too long. After Sam shaved my head, reality started to set in and I stopped recording. It turned out I had the bad kind of leukemia, as if there's actually a good kind. I ended up having a bone marrow transplant and spent five months in the hospital. These recordings are like a time capsule the most defining moments of my life have been preserved. It's symbolic, really, because even if there's no recordings of the event, there are some experiences that are so intense, so otherworldly, 
that they live on, even as you move on. And I have moved on. If you met me, you'd never know I was once her. But I'd probably tell you. It always seems to come out. There's one more recording from that time. This one is a little different. It's from after the bone marrow transplant, when I was weak and depleted. Hearing it now makes me wish I could console my younger self the way an older sister would. I want to tell her it's going to be okay. Trust me. But from her place in the past, she kind of assures me, too. Baby, I know this is really painful, but this is getting you on the right track. That spiritually, the illness and this recovery are spiritually the greatest things that have ever happened to me because there's so much opportunity in in this suffering and um, and yet at the same time the skin's peeling off my hands and and my body is recovering and I don't see as well anymore and I have ringing in my ears and pain in my back But those are temporary things, and everything's temporary. When I think about that time in my life, what I remember most is the clarity I had. I didn't have it all the time, obviously. The treatment was grueling. But all the stuff that clutters my head now was stripped away. I had no plans for the future, and dwelling in the past just seemed like the best way to waste precious time. Looking back, the time of my illness and recovery was the only time in my life when I really clung to the present. The last month was so physically, so physically challenging that I could do nothing but concentrate on the body. And I was in this, you know, this kind of glass cube the hospital room where I had to stay in isolation but it seems to me that the spirit can't be touched by those things the spirit is entirely separate chemotherapy can't touch the spirit radiation can't touch the spirit it's crazy how we We change so quickly in this life. Things change so quickly and... You know, sometimes you gotta lose yourself a little bit. I guess it's true. If you lose yourself, you might just find who you're looking for. Ibi Caputo. After Ibi told me about that tape of her earlier self, 
I wound up helping her a little and shaping it through a mentorship program offered by AIR, the Association of Independence in Radio. I was not thinking at the time that I'd get to share Ibby's piece on this podcast, which didn't yet exist. So I'm happy about the way that all turned out, too. Music in Ibby's piece by Lemon Cream. A preview of our next episode coming in just a minute, but first, over the next few episodes, I want to highlight some other podcasts I think you'll probably like if you like this one. Us and Them is produced and hosted by Trey Kay, and it comes from West Virginia Public Radio. Us and Them tells stories from the fault lines that separate Americans, race, religion, ideology, and so on. The latest episode tells the story of James Shaq Harris, the first African-American to start at the quarterback position in the National Football League. It's an overlooked Jackie Robinson kind of story. A lot of white fans, coaches, and owners long resisted the idea of a black quarterback because of racist stereotypes that said a black man couldn't handle the mental and leadership demands of the position. Some would argue that prejudice is uh, still with us to some extent. In this clip, Trey Kay is talking about James Shaq Harris breaking that barrier in 1969, winning the starting quarterback job for the Buffalo Bills. Incidentally, in the backfield with him was a rookie, O.J. Simpson. Now, a charming, affable, all-star running back like Simpson was easily accepted by white Americans. But a black guy starting as quarterback in the NFL, that was tougher to swallow. Oh, coming from the South, you've seen it all. But I never really thought of hate mail. But I received so much hate mail that it shocked me some of the things that just because you're playing in the NFL, but yeah, all kinds of hate mail, you know, where they would put your face in a watermelon or hand you to a tree, a lot of, uh, you know, the N-word connotations. After three years, Shaq was released by the Bills and signed by the L.A. Rams in 1972. But the racial animus didn't die out. It only intensified. Sometimes there were credible death threats on Shaq at his hotel or at the stadium on game day. The Rams called for increased security. Harris recalls what it was like rooming with fellow quarterback Ron Jaworski, who was white. So security was around my room, and when I went to the game, came out to tone, they had some. But Jaworski was my roommate, and he's kind of funny. And when he came in, he asked me what was going on out there, and I told him. So I said, oh, man. <laughs> so the next day, you know, we end up, you know, sometimes we ride together, but we rode in separate cars. So we just made a joke out of it that uh, Jawaka said, well, well, one of us <laughs> got to be there to play the game. <laughs> you can hear that story and lots of other good ones at usandthempodcast.com. Next time here on Scene on Radio, music and home. I'm a Thelonious Sphere monk. My father was actually a junior. Officially, I'm Thelonious Monk III. Most people think of, of jazz as this very cosmopolitan, urbane, inner city kind of thing that took place on the, in the Northeast and, and way out West. Most of our jazz greats, i.e. Thelonious Monks, Max Roach, Dizzy Gillespie, Miles Davis, all these kind of people, most of these people came from the South. 
we'd love to hear from you. Tweet at me, at CNONRadio, or write something on our Facebook page. Thank you for any sharing about the podcast in any way, including good old-fashioned word of mouth. Nothing better than that in my book. CNON Radio comes from CDS, the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University. <laughs>